We're on the bottom of Ivamos Memhei Amabez 45b3 in the Art School Gemara, heading on to Memvava Manal 46a1. Uh, the Gemara in this recording is discussing a new topic. Uh, we're discussing the topic of an Ever Kenani, a non Jewish slave, a non Jewish slave for a Jewish uh, master. More of these halachas, more of the, of the discussion about an Eved Kanani will be found later on in the tractate. But there are a few lines here in our Gemara that also discuss the laws of an Eved Kanani, of a non-Jewish slave, which is a bit of a foreign concept to uh, to many of us. Uh, just a little bit of an introduction to this topic of an Eved Kanani. Uh, there are two ways in which a non-Jewish slave can become a slave for a Jew. One way is in which the non-Jew uh, sells himself into slavery. That's one way. And then, then the second way is when he's a slave to a non-Jew. This non-Jew slave is already a slave to a non-Jew. And the non-Jew sells his slave to a Jew. That would be uh, the second option. Now, when a non-Jew becomes a slave to a Jew, it's not just that they become a slave, uh, but really it's even a partial form of conversion. And really this is the beginning of... Uh, the next couple of weeks uh, discussion on conversion, which is perhaps why it is mentioned here. Uh, but when a non-Jew becomes a slave, it is a partial conversion. In fact, they have to go to the mikvah before uh, they begin their slavery. Uh, and then once they become freed, so then they become fully Jewish. Then they become fully Jewish. So it's not just a form of a slavery, but it's really some, it's a, Quasi form of a transformation into joining into the Jewish people. Uh, so it's, uh, and we'll discuss um, more of this later on in the tractate. So that is what what is going on. In addition to that, uh, for when it comes to a non-Jewish slave, there are really two different types of ownership that the owner has, that the Jewish owner has on a non-Jewish slave. One is called Kinyon. Uh, mamon, and the second one is called Kinyan Haguf. Kinyan Mamon is probably the classic understanding of what a master, the ownership that a master has over the slave. The, he controls the slave's uh, time, meaning what they should be doing. He, they get, uh, they get to the benefit of the of the work of the slave, uh, and they they acquire that, um, and that is all within. Kin and Mamon, that they get the benefit of the work. They, they are essentially uh, acquiring them to work for them. That's called Kin and Mamon. The second one is Kin and Haguf, which is that it's not just that uh, they uh, have, have bought their the right to use them to work, but they have some sort of ownership on themselves, on, on the person themselves, such that uh, there are various halakhic ramifications. So let's say one of them is that whatever the slave acquires automatically goes to his master. If the slave acquires something outside the context of working, uh, whatever it is, it goes it goes directly to the master. If they acquire anything, it goes directly to the master because the slave is sort of viewed as um, uh, as as the master having uh, control over the entire being of the slave. It it also impacts this other uh, concept of kinin haguf that there's an ownership on the body. So that's the literal translation on the body itself. 
uh, ownership on the person, on the identity of himself, uh, this also impacts who they are allowed to marry. That the Torah says that for a non-Jewish slave, uh, there are limitations on who they are uh, allowed to marry. And so it also impacts that. And again, many of these halachas we will discuss at a later point in time. Uh, the Gemara, uh, one last point. Before before we continue, one last point as a point of introduction is um, that there's a concept called a shibud. A shibud is that I have... Uh, I have, let's say, a classic example is, let's say, I borrowed money. I borrowed money from somebody else, so then I owe them money. So I owe them money, and I could say that, you know what, I'm designating an, a certain object to be either as collateral or that, uh, it, even not as collateral, but just that uh, if I don't pay you with uh, with money, with cash, so then this object will eventually be given to you. It will be eventually be given to you, and there is a shibud, what we refer to as a shibud, on that uh, on that uh, on that object. Now, if that's the case, and when it comes to halacha, if I were to go ahead and sell that object, if I were to sell that object, so then um, the malva, the lender, has the right to remove that object from the person that bought that object. They have the right because because there's a Sheba, because uh, they have rights to that object, so therefore the lender could then remove it uh, from the buyer. If I sold it to somebody else, they could remove it from the person who bought it. Um, and we will see how this has this will be relevant with regards to uh, a slave as well. We'll see exactly what the context is, but it, it is relevant with regards to a slave. Okay, those are all the introductions. The Gemara says as follows. Rav says as follows. So a person, we mentioned that there's two different ways to acquire a non-Jew slave. One of the ways is where you buy it from a non-Jew. A non-Jew owns a slave and you buy it from the non-Jew. So the the Gemara says, Rav says, that let's say a person did that. They paid the non-Jew for this slave. This slave has not yet... uh, gone to the mikvah, has not yet started to work for the Jewish slave. But all of a sudden, what does the non-Jew do? The non-Jew goes to the mikvah, but he says it's, this is not for the purposes of becoming a slave, which is what a regular non-Jewish slave would do, but I'm doing this to become Jewish. I'm going to the mikvah, and I'm doing this to become fully Jewish. I'm accepting upon myself the mitzvos. And let's say there's a based in there, um, uh, a, a, a court, and, and they see what's happening, and they accept upon themselves the mitzvah, and he goes to the mikvah before he actually becomes a slave. So then we say, he becomes free because he did this. This is basically after the point in time where he's no longer belonging to the non-Jewish master. The Jewish master acquired him, but has not. he has not yet begun to work for him. He has not yet gone to the mikvah for the purposes of becoming a slave. If he already started to work for him, so then he's already a, a, a full non-Jewish slave. He already went to the mikvah, so then he's not allowed to convert. But because this is an in-between stage, so he has that he has that ability to just jump into the mikvah for the purposes of becoming fully Jewish, and then he's no longer a slave. He's a free person. He's a free Jew, uh, a complete Jew, and he does not have to serve uh, his Jewish master. He's completely free. My time. Why is this, why is this true? What's the logic behind this? So the Gemara explains as follows: Oved kochavim gufa lo kanile, my de kanile, 
Essentially as follows. A non, he was first a slave for, to a non-Jewish master. That non-Jewish master only has what we referred to earlier as the Kinyan Mamun. He only has rights. Uh, he bought the rights to use uh, the slave to work. The slave has to work for this non-Jewish master. Um, and that's, what, that's the Kinyan that he has. That's the ownership uh, that he has over the non-Jewish slave. And so that is what he gives over to the Jew. Because he only has the ability to give over to the Jew that which he owns. So now the Jew has uh, rights to uh, have this non-Jewish slave work, only with regards to the work. With regards to the other Kenyan that we mentioned, that there's another Kenyan, there's another type of ownership of Kenyan Haguf, the fact that he sort of uh, owns his identity, so to speak, that, that whatever he gets goes to the master and other uh, applications of this idea, that does not exist. That does not exist with regards to a non-Jewish slave, and therefore the non-Jewish slave is not selling that because he has no right to sell it. He doesn't have that ability. Uh, so this Jew, Jewish master, only has this slave uh, with rights to uh, to, uh, to to tell him to, to work for him and to decide what he should do. Now, if he goes ahead and... Uh, what, if he goes to the mikvah for the purposes of becoming a slave, so then he's a full-fledged slave, and then he also has the second type of ownership. But before he did that, so he, he, he's his own person, he's his own identity, and he went and he jumped into the mikvah for the purposes of becoming Jewish. And there was originally, before he went to the mikvah, there was what we referred to earlier as a shibud. Um, there was a lien. There was a lien that he had towards his master, uh, he had a responsibility or a lean towards his master to work for him. In the meantime, he jumped into the mikvah because he doesn't. He has his own identity at this point in time. It's in between the. It's from the transaction until to actually becoming fully a slave for the Jew. He jumps into the mikvah to become Jewish. The fact that he changes his identity completely from being a non-Jew to a Jew, he changes his identity completely. That undoes the entire lean. It undoes the entire lean. And now he's no longer required to work for his for the Jewish slave for the, for the, to the Jewish master, uh, because as a non-Jew he was uh, required to 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 work for the Jewish master. But he changed his entire identity, and he had the ability to change his entire identity. And as such, he goes completely free. And this fits with Rava, kid Rava. The Amar Rava, Rava says as follows: Hekdesh chametz v'shechar mafkin mideshibur. To the first two examples are connected to what we began with in our introduction. So let's say um, a person owes somebody else money, and they say that uh, they're gonna, this specific object you know, will be used uh, to pay you back. If I can't pay you back with cash, I'll use this object to pay you back. And then what do they do? One of two things. Either they're maktishit, meaning they designate it for the base of Migdash, as a korban, let's say. It's an animal as a korban. So it changes its identity completely. That because it changes its identity completely, it has it, it, it uproots the lien. It removes the lien. The lien only applies to the object that it was beforehand. But now it changes identity completely. It uproots the lien. That's case number one. Case number two is that let's say you borrowed money from a non-Jew. Um, and you said that chametz will, will be used as payment if they can't pay. And, but what happens is that it's Pesach. It's Pesach. And the chametz, the obligation is to burn the chametz. Chametz now has a completely new identity. It's forbidden to get any pleasure from the chametz. Has a new identity. That also, since you have an obligation to uh, burn the chametz, that overrides the lien. That too overrides the lien. And then the third case is our case of shechor. 
that we have this non-Jewish slave who was sold to a Jew. Um, and so it was before they, he became a fully a, a slave because he didn't go to the mikveh yet. He has that ability to change his entire identity, to become Jewish. He could jump into the mikveh for the purposes of becoming Jewish and I could uproot the entire lien. He's no longer viewed as a slave uh, because he has a new identity. He's a complete Jew. And that's, that's what the Gemara says. It's a very, uh, very interesting concept. So the Gemara asks on this. Mesa Ruchista. Ruchista challenges this from the following Brysa. And the Brysa says as follows. Maisa Beveloria Hagioris. There was a story about Beloria the convert. She converted. She was not Jewish. And she converted. As a non-Jew, she had uh, non-Jewish slaves. And so she's about to convert. The case was as follows. Her slaves, before she becomes Jewish, her slaves, her non-Jewish slaves, they themselves go to the mikvah to convert. So the master is converting, and her non-Jewish slaves are converting. However, the non-Jewish slaves are converting first. So they go first. And they, they, they came to the chachamim, to the sages, to decide, uh, are they free or not? Are they not free? What, what's the status? They became Jewish. Uh, and now she, the, the master, became Jewish. So do they go free or do they not go free? And they said, They said they do go free. They go free um, because they became Jewish. And it, the Gemara makes the inference, the the case uh, was stated explicitly that they went to the mikvah before their master. The implication is, is that because they went to the mikvah, they became Jewish before their master became Jewish. So therefore, there was a point in time where they were Jewish. And only afterwards the master became Jewish. And because there was uh, that point in time, that split second, when the master became Jewish, they were already Jewish, so then they could get they get to go free. But let's say the master became Jewish, and only after the master became Jewish, they then convert. So then the implication is it's too late. It's too late. They do not have the ability to uproot the lien because the master was first Jewish. The master now uh, owned these slaves, seemingly for both Kenyanim, for the monetary... Uh, uh, ownership and then the ownership over the identity of the non-Jewish slave um, and it seems to be as if it's too late it seems to be too late that's the implication the Gemara says no it's not too late the Gemara says no this does not uh, this does not uh, disprove what we were saying originally no the truth is is that even if they converted afterwards let's say they converted afterwards uh, after the master converted so even if they converted afterwards, since once the master converts and the master is now Jewish, now the the slaves who are not Jewish, they now have to go to the mikvah for the purposes of slavery, of becoming slaves and becoming only partial Jews. If they go ahead and they will, and they, on their own, they go to the mikvah not to become slaves, but to become Jewish, fully Jewish, that would uproot the entire lien. That, that maintains. Why does it say that they went to the mikvah before the master went to the mikvah? Amar um, Rav says for the following reason. Lefaneha, if they go to the mikvah before the master does, meaning the master is still not Jewish, and then they go to the mikvah, whether they say explicitly that they're going for the sake of becoming Jewish, or whether they don't say anything, we assume, the point is that we assume that they're going for the purposes of becoming fully Jewish. Why? Because if they're going for the purposes of just being partially Jewish, that doesn't make sense, because they wouldn't do it to be partially Jewish, and then have a non-Jewish master, it wouldn't work. They, they wouldn't be able to uh, fulfill mitzvos because they have a non-Jewish master. So it must be that they're doing it for the purposes of becoming fully Jewish and to get out of slavery <laughs> and to get out of it because their master is right now not Jewish. They're doing it to become fully Jewish and to, to get out of it. 
Uh, so it must be that's if they convert before the master converted. But if it's the lachareha, but if the master first converts and now they want to convert uh, to get out of uh, really to get to get out of uh, the slavery, in So if they say explicitly when they go to the mikvah, I want to become fully Jewish, right? Because they have to they have to do something because now that their master is Jewish, it's not done yet. They're, they they have to complete. Uh, the process to becoming a slave by by going to the mikvah for the sake of becoming a a, a slave for a Jew. Uh, instead, they explicitly say when they go to the mikvah that they're doing it for the purposes of becoming Jewish. So that works. But if they don't say that, so then maybe they're really doing it to become a to become a slave, and it's fine because since their master is Jewish, they'll be able to observe the mitzvot that non-Jewish slaves uh, for Jews observe. And so that's why they, they differentiate between before and after. There is a difference between before and after. But in the end of the day, the purpose is, is that the Gemara is telling us that uh, in the end of the day, they, uh, they had the ability to remove themselves, even when the master is already Jewish, to remove themselves from the slavery if they did not yet go to the mikvah. Then they, for the purposes of slavery, they could go to the mikvah for the purposes of becoming fully Jewish, and that will uproot the entire leaf. That's the main purpose. The Gemara now says as follows. Amar Rav Avi. Rav Avi says, all, our entire discussion is only when a person acquires a non-Jewish slave from a non-Jewish uh, master. But none of this applies, says Rav Avia, this, none of this applies when a non-Jew sells himself. When a non-Jew sells himself to slavery to a Jew, so then right away, automatically, at the point in time of the, that transaction, once he buys uh, this non-Jew into slavery, so then at that point in time, so then both Kinyan, both forms of ownership, there's the ownership of the monetary ownership or of what the work that the slave does. And in addition to that, it's this other form of ownership of the identity of the slave such that the slave can now is not able to just jump into the mikvah and become Jewish. They don't have such an ability uh, when they sell themselves into slavery. How do we know this? Because the verse says, uh, that you may acquire the slaves of those who, uh, of the children of the residents who live with you. And they, they expound on this and they say, Atem koni mehem. Jews could acquire slaves from non Jews. However, Velohim koni mikem. Non Jews cannot acquire slaves from Jews. Velohim koni And also, non Jews cannot acquire uh, slaves from other non Jews. Now, what is this exactly referring to? Velohim koni mikem. What is this referring to? It's referring to that a non-Jew cannot acquire a slave from a Jew with regards to just having them work for, for the non-Jew. That doesn't make sense. Uh, is that really true? They, they, can't, uh, they can't acquire a non-Jew to have them work for them from a Jew? We have from the verse that says explicitly uh, that a Jew could be sold to a non-Jew, and it's sold to a non-Jew with regards to uh, the rights for his labor. El alav rather must mean when we have this verse, it must, it's not referring to the rights of labor, but it's referring to having ownership on the person. The second form of ownership, which is ownership on the person, on the identity of the person, and that's when we're saying become mehem. Jews could acquire slaves from amongst them. Afilu gufe, they could acquire slaves. Meaning what? They, at the moment of the of the uh, of the sale of a non-Jew, a non-Jew sells himself to a Jew. At that point in time, two acquisitions take place. One is that uh, they are uh, number one is that 
there's this monetary uh, transaction where they have to work for the, the master. But number two is that with regards to their identity as well. They now, the master, owns, so to speak, owns the identity such that this slave now cannot, doesn't have the right to become, to go to the Mecca to become Jewish. Uh, so that only applies if the non-Jew sells himself uh, to a Jew. That does not apply when a non-Jew is already a slave to a, a, a non-Jewish master, and that non-Jewish master sells him to a Jewish master. This would only apply if the non-Jew sells himself uh, to a Jew. And that's based on the verse. The verse says that a Jew could acquire a non-Jew completely, even with regards to the second form of ownership. A non-Jew cannot acquire that form of ownership at all, whether it's from another non-Jew or whether it's from a Jew. They don't have that ability. It only applies if it's a Jewish master. If it's a Jewish master to a non-Jewish slave, they have that ability to uh, have ownership over the identity, let's say, of the of the non-Jewish slave. Rav Acha now asks the question. Parach Rav Acha, and then we'll conclude after this, uh, this next uh, few lines. Parach Rav Acha, Eima Bekasbo Betfila. Maybe when the verse said that the Jewish owner has complete ownership over the non-Jewish slave, not just in terms of working, not just in terms of labor, but also with regards to this other idea of the identity, having control over the identity of this non-Jewish slave, maybe that only occurs after the, the, the non-Jew goes to the mikvah. After the non-Jew goes to the mikvah, for the purposes of becoming a slave, that's when, excuse me, that's when it's fully uh, a Jew. Um, the the Jewish master has both owner forms of ownership. But if it was beforehand, who said? Maybe not. Maybe the non-Jew, after he sells himself and he gives the money, but he hasn't gone to the mikvah yet for the purposes of slavery, he still has that ability to just jump into the mikvah for the purposes of becoming fully Jewish, and that could uproot the entire lean uh, towards his master, his entire get uproot the, the, the entire sale uh, because he becomes a new identity he becomes Jewish so the Gemara says kasha that's that that is a that is a good question and they don't they have they leave it as a question okay that concludes uh, this part of the Gemara we still have a few more lines left with regards to other aspects of an Evid Kanani uh, and then we will continue on with uh, the laws of conversion in general